Hi, it's Tim Hagen from Progress Coaching, and welcome to another episode for the Coaching Conversations podcast. Now, we are on Stitcher, we are on iTunes, and multiple different channels. Please check us out. Now, one of the things that you'll get out of our podcast episodes is a lot of content, a lot of strategy. It's not fluff, it's not concept. Yet we really want you to engage with the content and let us know your feedback. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. If there's topics you'd love to have us address, we would love to share them with you. Let us know your impact and let us know your feedback. This is going to be a master module, a master class on something called sales optimization. Now, when I think about the definition of optimization, it refers to the process of finding the best solution or achieving the highest level of performance for a given goal or objective. It involves systematically improving or fine-tuning a system, design process, or resource allocation to maximize efficiency, effectiveness, or some desired outcome. Optimization often involves considering constraints, trade-offs, various factors to reach an optimal solution or configuration. It is commonly applied in areas like mathematics, engineering, computer science, uh, economics. Yet, what if we applied it to sales? What if we applied it to sales? And what if we optimized someone's ability to sell? Now, let's think about this just for a second. Let's think about sales optimization. Let's talk about optimizers. Now, I'm going to make a comment that is going to ruffle salespeople. Now, when I make this comment, I always remind people, I'm in sales. I have to sell for my company. And quite frankly, it's the part of the job that I'm probably not as good at. And I would tell you that it's also probably the area that I like the least in terms of my business. I'd rather do coaching or teach coaching. So when I look at number one sales optimizer, it's self-awareness. Number two, it's self-honesty. Number three, it's self-improvement. Now, I want to start off with a quick story to give reference. Years ago, I remember I was at a company and I was monitoring sales calls. And the company was in pro out in Muskego, Wisconsin. And I was reporting to a gentleman who's now CEO, Mark Holland, and I'll never forget the day when I listened to a guy's phone calls. Now, if Mark were listening to this right now, he would immediately know the story. And I remember calling him upstairs where I was monitoring calls. And I said, have you ever listened to this one guy sell? He said, who? I said, Dave Stevens. He said, what are you talking about? I go, this guy's a genius. He said, what are you talking about? I go, listen to him conversationally. Listen to him. This guy knows what he's doing. His conversation skills, his questioning skills were just brilliant. And I remember asking him straight out, I said, is he doing well in sales? And he said, yeah, he's actually at 150% of goal. I think he's number one in the company right now. I said, man, I've never heard someone like this. He goes, what does he do? And I said, he'll say things like, well, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Customer, you know, oh, by the way, when, when do you need this by? Oh, Tuesday. Oh, geez. How am I going to get there? Get that by Tuesday. What do you think I should do? Because I know that a lot of times with an order this big, people might want discounts. But if I go in for both early shipping and discount, my boss is going to have my head. What would you advise me to do? I'll never forget it. He turned the customer into the closer. 
Oh, I don't want you to get in trouble with your boss. Yeah, if you can get it here Tuesday, just charge me whatever you want to charge me. He'd handled the price objection before I came up. And I remember sitting down with Dave, who's one of my, probably my closest friend in the business world now. And I said, where did you learn this? He said, I worked retail at a sign company. I had a guy. So I'm going to start with the number three optimizer, self-improvement. Every single day we role-played and practiced. I said, oh my gosh, you can hear it. He said, really? I said, yes, you're like really good. I wish I was as good as you. Now, go to number two, self-honesty, sales optimizer number two. And I said, how did you get there? And he said, he said something to me, and I've said this to people as well. We're never as good as we think. And the toughest thing about sales is we have this thing called an ego. And yes, we need that ego. We are filled with rejection. Number one, self-awareness, really being honest with yourself. Really being honest with yourself. See, here's one of the funniest things about salespeople, present company included. When sales are up, man, I am fantastic. When sales are down, yeah, the economy went south. Let me give you a reference point to that. I was meeting in the past year with an organization, financial services, and I was asked to come in. I was not doing a sales call. Um, I was you know, invited, so it wasn't your traditional, I was prospecting, and they said, you know, we don't know if it'll lead to anything. Would you mind coming in and talking to us? We, we need to do some coaching things with our sales organization. I said, sure. And I'll never forget it. The vice president of sales starts out the meeting. And, you know, there's a dynamic. There's someone in sales. There's someone in HR. There's the CEO. Or I think it was the CEO or the president. And then the VP of sales. And he immediately, either he's trying to impress somebody in the room, or maybe I misread him. Yet he looks at me and goes, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. And immediately goes into this tone of, I'm in control of this meeting. Now, that's my perception. And then he asked me the almighty question. Now, keep in mind, I was invited to this meeting. Keep in mind, when I was invited to this meeting by, I think it was the president, their sales were flat. And he said, do you have any industry experience? And I said, in terms of your industry? He said, yeah. I said, no. Now, this is not an exaggeration. He starts laughing at me. He goes, oh, okay. Well, I guess we can go through with the meeting. That was the first two to three minutes of the meeting. Now, anybody who knows me, I don't back away from a fight. I don't fear the conflict. Keep in mind, I'm there to lend a hand. I'm not trying for a contract, by the way. And I said, okay, well, you know, we could end the meeting if you'd like, or, you know, we could continue it, but I I don't know if you'd want to do that. Now, I knew egotistically this guy wasn't going to let me end the meeting without him being able to kind of rally up for the fight, so to speak. And he said, well, no, you know, I said, He said, I'd like to continue the meeting. And I said, well, would you mind if I asked you some questions? He said, sure. I said, what's your understanding of how this meeting commenced, how it came about? He said, well, I would imagine you did a call and and he referenced to the president and, and, uh, you know, we're here on a, a sales call. I said, nope. I said, he invited me to, so you could pick my brain and how potentially sales coaching might help your organization. And he's ready to start talking, and I kind of cut him off. And I said, here's my second question. How are your numbers? Honestly. Now, anybody who knows me might think in that situation, hold on a second, that's pretty aggressive. It was aggressive. 
Keep in mind, anything soft and cuddly would not have worked with this guy, and that's experience talking. It's not always foolproof. And he looked at me and he said, um, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he starts going on. I go, are your sales up or down? He said, well, one of the things that we're trying to do is, and he wouldn't answer my questions. And I smiled back at the president and I said, I looked at him and I said, you okay with this? He said, yep. Looked back at him and I said, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. In the sales world, this is a close-ended question. Yes or no, are your sales up or down? Give me up or down. Don't give me a narrative. He said, they're down. They're a little bit flat. Now, if you notice what he's doing, he's kind of putting a little extra sauce on it. Well, we're down. We're, we're, we're a little flat. He's making himself feel better. I looked at him. I go, your sales are down. Is that correct? He said, yes. I said, great. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm trying to understand because I was asked to come in here to help. I said, you immediately have laughed at me. You brought up my industry, lack of industry experience as criteria for being successful. He's ready to interject. And I said, but I have my last question for you. And then we can conclude the meeting. He said, sure. I said, do you have a lot of industry experience? He said, yes, I do. I said, how long? He said, 22 years. Now his eagles come back. And I said, and you're the one having the problem. Started to pack up my binder and the room went silent. Now, this is going to come off very arrogant, like I'm showing off. That is not my intention here. I wanted to give reference point. And he looked at me and he goes, wow, that was a sucker punch. I said, no, that's not a sucker punch. That's reality. You want a sucker punch? You've been disrespectful to me. You've treated me like crap in this meeting. You don't know me. I was invited to come here, which has been a total waste of my time. I was going to be here to offer my assistance at no pay. This was not a sales call. Yet you brought up industry experience, which you have, and you're having the problem. So what I'm ascertaining is when things turn around, you'll take credit for it. But is that the market turning around or is that you turning things around? And I looked at the president and I go, he asked me to come in here. I don't know what's going through his mind. He might be mad at me at this point. Yet what I would tell you is there are three things you need to learn. Number one, be honest. You're having problems. You could use some assistance. We all do. I have a coach. I have a mentor and I have an EQI coach. Number two, become a little self-aware of how you're treating people. I'm here out of generosity because I believe I was referred by another client's president And I look back at the president, he nodded. He goes, that's correct. I said, number three, we all need to improve. And if you're of some undying belief because of your vast industry experience, you don't need to improve, you're fooling yourself. Quite frankly, you're just full of crap. There's your sucker punch. Now, as the as we got near the end of the meeting, the you know the HR ladies kind of snickering and the president smiling. I looked at him. I go, "You have a choice right now. I am happy to help you." Anybody who knows me knows that I don't start charging for every nickel and dimer when I drive by the building and in you know beep and I invoice you. I don't do that. I'm really here genuinely to help. I said, if you want to continue the meeting, I'd be happy to help you. He said, okay, now his tone is different. I said, let me ask you, what's the number one thing 
impeding your people's ability to perform from a sales perspective. I'm not asking situational circumstance, marketplace conditions. He said, the industry is down. He said, our market is down. And I think we are struggling with stall objections. I said, fantastic. We put it up in the whiteboard. Give me a second thing where you think your people could improve based on what's going on in the marketplace situationally. And he said, Price. We're getting a lot of price concessions because our market is down. Uh, materials are up uh, with, with supply chain. I said, okay. And I said, price objections. I said, let's stop there. Stall objections and price objections. He said, right. I said, how often do your people practice monthly in scheduled sessions? He goes, we don't do that. I said, can I tell you something? We've made more progress in the last two questions than we did in the first 15 minutes. I looked back at the president and I said, do you agree? He said, I totally agree. And I said, What I would encourage you to do is to practice those. Do you have definitions? Do you have verbiage? Do you have a framework of how somebody could handle those objections? Is it written out where it's been educated and trained on? He said, no. I said, great. I'm going to teach you something called knowledge, skill, and behavior, the tiers of learning. Knowledge, if they know what to do, skill, then you can practice it. Through practice and positive reinforcement, you will have something called confidence and conviction. Yet if you just throw salespeople at a situation, they're all going to shoot from the hip, which is going to create fractional success. And if anything, undermine the brand because you're going to have inconsistency from rep to rep. Let me give you an example. And I go into price objection handling. I said, I used to teach something called push the objection. Well, Mr. Mrs. Customer, outside of uh, price, what are the top two or three buying drivers that went into your decision? And have you met? Have we met? Those expectations, if they answer yes, say, well, that's why we don't lower price. What would you advise me to do? If they say, yeah, I'm still unsure of your value, it's not a price objection. The price objection is a mask for, I don't understand your value. That's a framework you could use. I'm not suggesting you do use it. See, sales optimization starts, in my estimation, with self-awareness, developing the skills to truly look at oneself and be honest. Number two, After you become self-aware is to be really honest of what you need to do. You know, one of the funniest things about salespeople, and I have made this mistake countless times, I need to come in, do my number of calls when I was in sales, and I would find a way to work extra long in the proposal. We once did a study where we did a time management um, sequence or uh, analysis, and I think we did it, it was like 60 reps, it was a tech firm down in Chicago, and we asked them, what are your top 10 priorities as it relates to your job? Take those top 10, put them down to four, and put them in the order in which you do them. And I think it was less than 20% mentioned prospecting or or cold outreach, which was the number one objective. They had redefined their job descriptions, but they just didn't send anyone the memo that they had done so. When we practice self-awareness, We position ourselves to really be honest. And honesty includes knowing what you're good at and where you have opportunities to improve. Then number three, when we invest in self-improvement, void of marketplace conditions and situations. See, the funniest thing is we all do this in sales and non-sales. When somebody gives you some advice, you know, try this. Yeah, but. See, the reason we yeah, but things is so we can fend off what we know deep down we have to do. It's like someone with a negative attitude. You should be nicer. They know that. 
So what we do is we build in defense mechanisms. So self-improvement, especially as it relates to sales optimization. So again, when you think about sales optimization, it's the you know process of improving sales performance, maximizing the effectiveness and efficiency of a salesperson and the organization. It involves analyzing and enhancing various aspects of the sales process, strategies and tactics to achieve better outcomes, increase revenue. That includes being honest. Let me give you another example. Think about, think about forecast. How many times do we sit down in front of our leaders and we are positioned as sales professionals to give the answers we just know they want to hear? Rarely will you have a sales rep saying, you know what, I really dissected my numbers. I'm going to be below 80%. And if I lose a couple of these bigger deals, this could be a pretty bad year. Most of the time we come up, we sell ourselves. See, one of the greatest things about salespeople, we are eternal optimists. One of the worst things about salespeople is we are eternal optimists. So think about this. I think it's the Sales Management Association that does this study. One out of two people hit their quotas every year and one out of two do not. That that statistic has varied very little in decades. One of the healthiest things that we can do is to take someone's forecast and do what I call a conditioner. Put in a condition of if you lost your top deal or two, what would happen to your numbers? That will give you critical thinking of the sales rep. Have they optimized their forecast? Have they optimized their understanding? If someone's at 103% of goal because of deals that are pending and you take one out and it goes down to 80, would they know that? That really gives you the opportunity to get someone to really understand and become self-aware so they can be self-honest and they can really pursue self-improvement. Now, sales optimizers... There are more than just self-awareness. There are more than just self-honesty. There are more than just self-improvement. I will tell you at the forefront of all of this is ego. To get in a car, to go to a client site, not knowing someone, prospect site, and have a conversation with somebody is not easy. It is filled with rejection. It is filled with unknowns. There are things that are going to be brought up, and we have one of the greatest attributes other careers don't have. We can shoot from the hip. We can hang in conversations better than anybody. The unknown does not scare most of us. And if you're newer in sales, it will. You'll get better at it. Yet that ego gets in front of something, and it creates a firewall around this thing called learning. See, studies have bared out that when people are learning, they perform better. Yet what we are under so much pressure from numbers as sales professionals, we tend to go after the numbers. And we tend to go after the numbers at the, at the expense of our own self-improvement. Let me give you case in point. We just did a poll recently and less than 10% of organizations said they had more than two plus scheduled practice sessions for their sales organization. Let me repeat that. Only 10% or less had two-plus practice sessions for their salespeople to improve their selling skills. Think if the other 90% was your competition. I'll give you another case in point. I was in front of a CEO group once, and the CEO said, well, what do you do with all this coaching stuff, Tim? And, and 
you know, quite frankly, I have a really good, you know, I have a really good sales team. And I said, would you mind if I presented you a scenario versus answered you outright? He said, sure. I said, give me a big deal. And it was an industrial leasing company. So what's a big deal to you? And he said, about three to $5 million is a really big deal. I said, great. You've got three to $5 million deal, million dollar deal on the table. You're about to go to the market place. You're going to meet with this prospective customer. You've met with them. And then they have final presentations. Let's just assume that's the way it works. He goes, okay. And I said, it's in two weeks. Your competition is going to anticipate every type of objection. Your competition is going to practice the presentation. Your competition is actually going to do research and show up with that research. Your people are going to shoot from the hip because they're experienced. Are you confident, same, or less confident? And he stopped and he goes, huh, wow, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. The guy next to him elbows him in the arm and he goes, I think you just answered his question. And we all started laughing. I could not have scripted it better. And I said, so within five minutes, I shot holes in your confidence because we want to assume. We want to, in sales, give ourselves one less thing to worry about. And we tend to throw people and bodies at it. If your people are not practicing, they are not, they are not getting better. So number four, your next sales optimizer is self-practice. We can practice writing out phrases. We can practice out loud. I just did it in front of you. You know, when I get a price objection, now my customer is going to know my method to my madness, but that's okay. And they say to me, Tim, your price is a little bit high. Is there anything you could do? And I said, well, sure. Why would you have in mind? I don't know if I can do it. They say, well, you know, if you could lower the price, you never lower price until they tangibly tell you how much. And I said, okay, well, give me a number that you think would be fair to both of us. That conditions the human spirit to not be unfair. And I had a customer say, would you be willing to go down 10%? And I said, well, first of all, the answer is yes, I'd be willing to. I didn't say I was going to. Why 10%? I'm just wondering out of curiosity. And they go, well, I don't know. I just, you know, oh, I just want a deal. Now, I've had one customer recently say, honestly, it would help us out from a budgetary constraint standpoint. I said, fantastic, done. See, my philosophy for my business is the less you negotiate, the better, because the negotiation can morph into um, arduous interactions. And I said, I do have one thing in, I ask in return. They said, sure, anything. I said, I want three testimonials from your company, and I want two introductions to people where you're a member of an association that's at your level, whether it's HR, vice president, president, C-level, doesn't matter. I always get something in return to shorten my sales cycle. Now, that is not a foolproof method for every industry out there. The point being is I'm ready. I practice those things. So when you think about self-awareness, self-honesty, self-improvement, self-practice, people will optimize their ability to sell. Now, when we look at the fifth one, which is self-perspective, this is the toughest one. See, when we're in marketplace conditions and we're looking at all these things, 
We tend to grab a hold of them. The market's down. The industry's down. This company's undercutting me. My company's not doing this. They're not doing this. They're undermining because of supply chain. We're not shipping products on time. Those are real and they're frustrating. I get it. But someone who practices self-perspective focuses on the things that they can control, and that's themselves. Recently, we've been helping an organization who's having some supply chain issues. They literally are not as busy because they can't sell or ship what they don't have. And so what they're doing is they're doubling down and selling ability. It's brilliant. They're optimizing their sales organization when supply chain catches up, and it is catching up. We're noticing things that they're sharing. So think about that just for a second. Self-perspective, looking at yourself. What can I do for me? What can I do to improve me? It's beyond self-improvement. Self-improvement is the action. Self-perspective is a mindset. So we've covered five sales optimizers. Self-awareness, self-honesty, self-improvement, self-practice, self-perspective. If sales organizations practice and facilitate room to pursue these things, sales optimization will dramatically improve. The sales results will dramatically improve. Thank you for listening to another episode of Coaching Conversations by Tim Hagen and Progress Coaching. Now, our company is always coming out with new and innovative solutions to help leaders coach their employees. And recently, we just created a new service called Coach to You, where leaders can pick and choose topics and assign seven to 21-day programs for employees to learn and, more importantly, apply actions and then reflect and share what they're going to do going forward as a result of the learning. It's called Coach to You. We're literally bringing coaching to your employees. If you're intrigued, we'll have a link in each one of our episodes where you can get more information. And again, thank you so much for listening to another episode.